The Phoenix Theater and Arts Company's audio drama series presents O. Henry's The Gift of the Magi, adapted and directed by Phil Pinot. For past episodes, upcoming events, and other information, make sure to visit our website at phoenixtheaterartsco.com. That's theater with an R-E. Without further ado, we give you the gift of the Magi. That was all. And 60 cents of it is in pennies. Penny saved one and two at a time by bulldozing the grocer and the vegetable man. Bulldozing? And bulldozing the butcher until her cheeks burned with the silent imputation of parsimony that such close dealing implied. Three times Della had counted the money. One dollar and eighty-seven cents. Oh, and tomorrow is Christmas. (laughs) There was clearly nothing to do but flop down on the shabby little couch and howl. So, Della did it, which instigates the moral reflection that life is made up of sobs, Sniffles and smiles, <laughs> with sniffles predominating. <laughs> While Della is gradually subsiding from sobs to sniffles, take a look at the home. A furnished flat at $8 per week. It did not exactly beggar description, but it certainly had that word on the lookout for the mendicacy squad. It's not quite that bad. In the vestibule below was a letterbox into which no letter would go and an electric button from which no mortal finger could coax a ring. Also appertaining thereunto was a card bearing the name Mr. James Dillingham Young. We added the Dillingham during a former period of prosperity when Jim was being paid $30 a week. Now with his pay shrunk to $20, we're thinking of contracting to a modest and unassuming D. But whenever Mr. James Dillingham Young came home and reached his flat above, he was called Jim and greatly hugged by Mrs. James Dillingham Young, already introduced to you as Della, which is all very good. Della finished her cry and attended to her cheeks with a powdered rag. She stood by the window and looked out dully at a gray cat walking a gray fence in a gray backyard. Tomorrow is Christmas Day and I only have a dollar and 87 cents to buy my gym a present. I've saved every penny I could for months. Twenty dollars a week certainly doesn't go far. Expenses had been greater than she had calculated. They always are. Many a happy hour she had spent planning for something nice for him. Something fine and rare and sterling. Something just a little bit near to being worthy of the honor of being owned by Jim. There was a pier glass between the windows of the room. Perhaps you've seen a pier glass in an $8 flat. A very agile person may, by observing their reflection in a rapid sequence of longitudinal strips, obtain a fairly accurate conception of their own looks. Della had mastered this art. Suddenly, she whirled from the window and stood before the glass, 
Her eyes were shining brilliantly, but her face had lost its color within twenty seconds. Rapidly, she pulled down her hair and let it fall to its full length. Now, there were two possessions of the Dillingham Youngs in which they both took a mighty pride. One was Jim's gold watch that had been his father's and his grandfather's. The other... The other's my hair. If the Queen of Sheba lived in the flat across the air shaft, I would have let my hair hang out the window to dry just to depreciate Her Majesty's jewels and gifts. <laughs> and had King Solomon been the janitor, with all his treasures piled up in the basement, Jim would have pulled out his watch every time he passed, just to see him pluck at his beard from envy. Right. So now, Della's beautiful hair fell about her, rippling and shining like a cascade of brown waters. It reached below her knee and made itself almost a garment for her. And then she did it up again nervously and quickly. Once, she faltered for a minute and stood still while a tear or two splashed on the worn red carpet. On went her old brown jacket, on went her old brown hat. With a whirl of skirts and with the brilliant sparkle still in her eyes, she fluttered out the door and down the stairs to the street. Where she stopped, the sign read, Madame Sophronie, here are goods of all kinds. One flight up, Della ran and collected herself, panting. Madame, large, too white, chilly, hardly looked the Sophronie. <clears throat> Will you buy my hair? Well, I buy hair. Take your hat off and let's have a sight at the looks of it. Down rippled the brown cascade. I think you'll find that if the Queen of Sheba lived in the flat across from your shop, you could hang my hair out the window just to depreciate- Twenty dollars. Oh, well, give it to me quick. And the next two hours tripped by on rosy wings. Forget the hashed metaphor. She was ransacking the stores for Jim's present. She found it at last. A new coat. No. New gloves? No. No, no. Maybe a puppy. A what? Never mind. She found it at last. It surely had been made for Jim and no one else. There was no other like it in any of the stores, and she had turned all of them inside out. It was a platinum fob chain, simple and chaste in design, properly proclaiming its value by substance alone and not by meretricious ornamentation, as all good things should do. Oh, it's even worthy of the watch! As soon as she saw it, she knew that it must be Jim's. It was like him. Quietness and value. The description applied to both. Twenty-one dollars they took from her for it, and she hurried home with the eighty-seven cents. With this chain on his watch, Jim might be properly anxious about the time in any company. Grandis's watches, he sometimes looks at it on the sly, on account of the old leather strap that he uses in place of a chain. When Della reached home, her intoxication gave way a little to prudence and reason. She got out her curling irons and lighted the gas and went to work repairing the ravages made by generosity added to love. Which is always a tremendous task, dear friends. A mammoth task. Within 40 minutes, her head was covered with tiny, close-lying curls that made her look wonderfully like a truant schoolboy. She looked at her reflection in the mirror, long, carefully, and critically. If Jim doesn't kill me before he takes a second look at me... 
He'll say I look like a Coney Island chorus girl. Oh, but what could I do? Oh, what could I do with a dollar and 87 cents? At seven o'clock, the coffee was made and the frying pan was on the back of the stove, hot and ready to cook the chops. Jim was never late. Della doubled the fob chain in her hand and sat on the corner of the table near the door that he always entered. Then she heard his step on the stair away down on the first flight, and she turned white for just a moment. She had a habit of saying a little silent prayer about the simplest everyday things, and now she whispered, Please, God, make him think I'm still pretty. The door opened, and Jim stepped in and closed it. He looked thin and very serious. He does need a new overcoat and gloves. Jim stopped inside the door, as immovable as a setter at the scent of quail. His eyes were fixed upon Della. There's an expression in them that I just can't read. It's not anger, nor surprise, nor disapproval, nor horror, nor any of the sentiments that I had been prepared for. He simply stared at me fixedly with that peculiar expression on his face. Della wriggled off the table and went to him. Oh, Jim, darling, don't look at me that way. I had my hair cut off and sold because, well, I couldn't have lived through Christmas without giving you a present. It'll grow out again. You won't mind, will you? I just had to do it. My hair grows awfully fast. Oh, say Merry Christmas, Jim, and let's be happy. You don't know what a nice, what a beautiful, nice gift I've got for you. You've cut off your hair. Cut it off and sold it. Don't you like me just as well, anyhow? I'm me without my hair, aren't I? Jim looked about the room curiously. You say your hair is gone. You needn't look for it. It's sold, I tell you. Sold and gone, too. Oh, it's Christmas Eve, Jim. Be good to me, for it went for you. Maybe the hairs of my head were numbered. But nobody could ever count my love for you. Shall I put the chops on, Jim? Out of his trance, Jim seemed quickly to wake. He enfolded his Della. Could you give us just a moment? Ah, For ten seconds, let us regard with discreet scrutiny some inconsequential object in the other direction. Eight dollars a week, or a million a year. What is the difference? A mathematician or a wit would give you the wrong answer. The Magi brought valuable gifts, but that was not among them. This dark assertion will be illuminated later on. Jim drew a package from his overcoat pocket and threw it upon the table. Don't make any mistake, Dell, about me. I, I don't think there's anything in the way of a haircut or a shave or a shampoo that can make me love my girl any less. But if you'll unwrap that package, you may see why you had me going a while at first. Nimble fingers tore at the string and paper. And then an ecstatic scream of joy. <laughs> and then, alas... A quick change to hysterical tears and wails, necessitating the immediate end of all the comforting powers of Della's dear Jim. No, Jim. For there lay the combs. The set of combs side and back that Della had worshipped long in a Broadway window. Beautiful combs, pure tortoiseshell with jeweled rims. Just the shade to wear in my beautiful vanished hair. They were expensive combs, she knew, and her heart had simply craved and yearned over them, without the least hope of possession. And now, they were hers. But the tresses that should have adorned the coveted adornments were gone. 
But she hugged them to her bosom, and at length she was able to look up with dim eyes and a smile and say, My hair grows so fast, Jim. And then Della leaped up like a little singed cat and cried. Oh, oh! Jim had not yet seen his beautiful present. She held it out to him eagerly upon her open palm. The dull, precious metal seemed to flash with a reflection of her bright and ardent spirit. Isn't it dandy, Jim? I hunted all over town to find it. You'll have to look at the time a hundred times a day now. Oh, give me your watch. I want to see how it looks on it. Instead of obeying, Jim tumbled down on the couch and put his hands under the back of his head and smiled. Del, let's put our Christmas presents away and keep them a while. They're too nice to use just at present. I sold the watch to get the money to buy your combs. And now suppose you put the chops on. (laughs) (laughs) The Magi, as you know, were wise men wonderfully wise men who brought gifts to the babe in the manger. They invented the art of giving Christmas presents. Being wise, their gifts were no doubt wise ones, possibly bearing the privilege of exchange in case of duplication, of course. And here I have lamely related to you the uneventful chronicle of two foolish children in a flat who most unwisely sacrificed for each other the greatest treasures of their house. But in a last word to the wise of these days, let it be said that of all who give gifts, these two were the wisest. Of all who give and receive gifts, such as they are wisest. Everywhere they are wisest. They are the Magi. PTAC's audio drama series is a production by the Phoenix Theatre and Arts Company. This week's episode, The Gift of the Magi, was written by O. Henry, adapted and directed by Phil Pinot, and edited by Gina Stanton. This episode features the vocal talents of Jenna Isabella as Della, Jeff Parsons as Jim, Phil Pinot as Madame Sophronie, and Gina Stanton as the narrator. Original PTAC music by Brian Sanishin. For a full listing of credits, visit us at phoenixtheaterartsco.com. That's theater with an R-E. While you're there, please consider clicking the donate link. That would be delightful. Have comments or questions? Email us at phoenixtheaterartsco at gmail.com or find us on social media. A very special thank you to our Patreon subscribers, with a shout-out to those sitting in the box seats, Ken Shelby, and on-stage seating, Margaret Thurston. We couldn't do this without you. Join us next week for a collection of winter poetry.